was no established best friendship at all. And you're just like, what happened here? <laughs> I'm at a loss for like how to even express this. I'm Kritika. And I'm Kelly. Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. We're long distance best friends who bonded over our love of TV and brought you this podcast to recap one of our favorite shows, New Girl. And today we'll be discussing season three, episode one, All In. This episode originally aired September 17th, 2013. The writer was the show's creator, Elizabeth Merriweather, who last was credited for being the main writer of season two, episode 23, Virgins. And it was directed by Max Winkler, who last directed season two, episode 24, Winston's Birthday. This episode, Nick and Jess share their ready-to-go all-in and end up running off to Mexico. Winston and Schmidt continue to feel out their friendship. Schmidt still can't decide between Cece and Elizabeth, and we learn Winston is colorblind. So I don't know about you, Gradiga, but I realized I kind of missed New Girl. We took a little bit of a pause between season two and season three as just prepping and whatnot, and it really felt like it was the end of the season true break of like, what's going to happen to Nick and Jess as they leave Cece's wedding? And season three immediately picks up with them getting in the car and driving away. I really liked how they like brought that back immediately, but then I was really excited to just get really put back into New Girl. Yeah, in a time when everyone is binging the show, it really did remind me also of like summer breaks and having to wait for it and the anticipation. And I really also like that they didn't just jump ahead into this relationship that they might have or like even just jumping ahead to Mexico, which would have been a very small jump. But I really like that we picked up right away because it felt like we didn't miss any of the action. And they were so cute. They were being so honest. And they just kept saying how they were all in, which obviously is why the episode is named that. But I just love to get to see them right away because it really reinstated why I like New Girl so much. I love that too. And I think that's why I love New Girl so much too, because we got the vulnerable moments of Nick and Jess, not just like, oh, they're together. Here you are, like perfect couple. It's like, no, remember, there's so many rocky moments that got them to this point, literally just in Cece's wedding that they were exploring that. And now here they are where... They're, as you said, so honest with each other and all in with each other as they're calling out back and forth. But then it was the cutest thing when when Jess is looking at Nick to say, pull over. <laughs> and like both of them knew what that meant. And afterwards, the response from Jess is like, okay, well, what do we do next? Like, what now? Like, this is what we wanted to do. And then Nick's just like, oh, I think I want to buy you a lobster dinner. Like I'm fighting the urge to buy you a lobster dinner. And you're just like, that is, that is a hundred percent a Nick Miller response. <laughs> it takes me back to their first date where he talked about the fancy restaurant being his favorite spot to be in and how it's not Nick Miller's vibe traditionally, but just brings out this other side of him where he like wants to do better. Like in our season two recap, we talked about how a happy Nick Miller was someone who did his laundry and was like really responsible. And 
I feel like there could be so much potential for them, but they are already second guessing this. Like they head home because what else are they going to do? And immediately Schmidt starts blowing Nick's phone up because he needs him. And they're already like, how do we deal with this? This loft is not good for us. Schmidt is so obsessive just all the time. We know that about Schmidt. And he's always so overdramatic. However, in this moment, when he does finally open the door after all those text messages and share to them that he's having a major life crisis and needs their help, I was like, okay, Schmidt, you're not actually wrong this time or you're not overemphasizing it this time. Like you really have a major, major life crisis and you don't know what to do about it. And you do need your friends, especially Nick Miller. And they're, of course, not wanting to deal with him in that moment. They have their own stuff to deal with. So I like how it just really cutely was like, oh, you know, we're just going to figure something out. We're going to discuss this really fast. And they decide immediately they needed to run away, run far away. And I can't believe it actually took them to Mexico. (laughs) I can't believe it either. And you know what else I can't believe about this episode? We pick up right after Cece's wedding And when Schmidt and Winston open the door to accost Nick and Jess and tell them to figure it out and get inside, Winston still has a badger bite on his arm and it's like bloody. (laughs) We never see it the rest of the episode. He just starts puzzling like he's totally not been just bit by a badger about to bleed out the night before. And I just thought it was so funny. Like Schmidt's going through this life crisis. Here's Winston who never puts himself first in like getting his friends to do his work. Like he's always like there for his friends and they can just run. Like they don't care that Schmidt's having this crisis. They still don't care that Winston almost bled out. They're just like, we're going to go to Mexico. Of course. That is so funny too about the blood on his shirt because I think that's this whole, like we took this mini break and I saw that on his arm and I legitimately was like, why is Winston bleeding? Do I know why Winston's bleeding? He got bit by a badger. He almost died. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't understand. And Nick and Jess like are so wrapped up in their own stuff that they're just like, oh no, they're going to make us do something we don't want to do. So we're just going to go. And I mean, obviously Mexico wasn't their plan, but just watching them devolve into these beach people and the fact that they just stayed there for four days, like I was shocked. Like I thought, the joke was going to be that they looked so run down and it had been like 12 hours or something. And then you just see Schmidt saying like, it's been four days. Really? What? It would have been a little bit fun. I'll say like as much as we were like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't jump ahead right away. It would have been a little fun to see like day one, two, three, because by day four is when they were like, "Mm, we got to go back to reality because how creative are they too, that they are still wearing their wedding clothes as well. And Jess basically took her garment and turned it into like a two piece bathing suit thing. And I was like, just making it work, figuring out beach life all on your own. And I don't know, I did want to see like a little bit more of the like in the moment scenes with Nick and Jess, but we're moving forward. and <laughs> They're realizing they need to go back to reality. It would have been a lot of fun to see more of Paradise Nick and Paradise Jess. And I love that you looked at these outfits and you're like, wow, Jess really made it work. And I looked at those outfits and I was like, oh, they haven't showered in four days. (laughs) This is really being all in with each other. You're just staying with each other forever, letting feral dogs watch you and just being mega chill, as, as Nick put it. 
And I think it's so, so funny that they're having these moments of like being completely run down right next to this massive resort where everyone has free drinks and like it's probably like an all-inclusive thing. And it makes you feel like they're in this isolated part of Mexico where no one else is. And then the camera just pans over like, what if we go over there? And I love how New Girl does this. Right? Like it's been there all four days that these people have just been camping on the beach with their car. And yet there's this resort. So they go over there, they are finding this kid, they're getting this bracelet from this kid and like haggling him. And the security guard comes over and is clearly can tell that these smelly, ratty people (laughs) who have not showered or eaten properly in four days are probably not hotel guests of this nice hotel. And this was one of my favorite moments in this episode, I feel like, because they're trying to play it cool, like the security guard doesn't see them. But then but then Jess is like, is he looking? Did he notice me? And Nick is saying, of course he noticed you. You're the greatest looking girl on this beach. And I'm just like, Nick like it's such a little moment and like it's those little things that I think make their relationship so much more real and like cute because it's like that's when Nick is is the most open about it now like those are things that I feel like in the past I knew he was thinking but like had to guess at it and now it's like little moments that are just shared so cute It's so nice to see what's inside Nick Miller's head when he feels free enough to speak it because this is the kind of stuff where back in season two, he would talk about how he thought the door was closed and so he didn't want to explore things, even in Cooler, not like this. Like this is so reminiscent of that and in a different stage though, like in a way where, you know, Jess appreciates it too. It's not like a weird thing between them. It's a very cute, intimate moment amongst this really comedic scene of this guard walking over and then the next thing we see is Nick running into the ocean because, of course. (laughs) I mean, that is also one of the truest moments for Nick when he is absolutely free because I don't know what... (laughs) Fight or flight, and he did both. He he flew (laughs) to the ocean and then he was ready to fight them point break style and you're just like, okay, Nick Miller, you're covering all the bases here. And when they took him away and they were like, we're taking him to jail... And they're at a resort. I was like, they're taking him to resort jail. Like, it's not going to be real jail. But I love how Jess didn't even stop to think about that. I didn't think about that. I just was like, jail? Like, oh gosh, like, is this actually a crime? Like, where's Nick going to be? But then where I was surprised is that they jumped the shark just a little bit in the scene where they, she went all the way home, got Schmidt and Winston and went all the way back to Mexico in like two seconds. And I'm like, okay, okay. I like that the whole gang is back together. I like that we're bringing everyone to this final type of scene to in this episode. But I also am a little bit like, whoa, (laughs) like that happened really fast. But here we are. And here we are looking for Nick in jail at the hotel. Like that's where I'm also like, wait, if I was like Jess and didn't think that he was in resort jail, why did she only just start at the hotel lobby to find him. I'm like, what are you doing, Jess? Exactly. And she didn't walk up and ask, like, where's the nearest jail or where would you have taken this man? Of course, Schmidt steps in, so Jess doesn't really get to do anything there. She just follows along, but she really does it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just have to say, you were talking about how they jumped the shark by, like, making Jess go all the way home and back so quickly. And my thing is, you can't really get to Mexico without your passport. 
So even if they somehow got in, she had to cross border to come back. So she had her passport. So what we're saying is she just like happened to have her passport on her when she went to Cece's wedding, which doesn't make any sense. But that's all I'm going to say about it. One other piece, though, is that they had no gas money and they had no gas. So that was part of the reason they were starting to mooch from the resort. So suddenly she got home and she got back for like a three hour drive to L.A., six hours total. It's fine. So we're moving forward. <laughs> so, they, so they're trying to pay all these people off to find out what happened to Nick. But as soon as the first guy said, oh, go talk to this person, go talk to Julio. I was like, they are going to get taken advantage of. <laughs> they're just going to get passed around and around and around. And it's funny that they finally ended with like Brad. <laughs> It's just like, thanks. <laughs> I think that if Schmidt had been any less obnoxious, this would have been a much quicker like turnaround. But to pass over money to begin with and then to say, this is for your kid's education or for fun up your nose or whatever he said, I can't even – I mean, I do understand. Schmidt is douchey. But like – they would have had it so much easier if he had just like let Jess take the lead, which is saying something because Jess again showed up at the resort. Yeah. And they did eventually find Nick though, because they found the security guard and he took him to Nick and he was fine. He was just watching Ugly Betty hanging out. <laughs> Nothing was wrong. Did they trade the car for Nick at all? Or was that just like kind of a joke? Because how did they get back to LA? No, because that's why they had a different car, like a car that wasn't theirs to go back. I totally didn't notice that. Whose car was that? The security guard's car. They traded cars with the security guard. So that they could get Nick. <laughs> that's, that's how much Nick Miller was worth to them, which is a lot. Well, it was Nick Miller's car they traded, so at least it wasn't But there. was it Nick Miller's car? Because isn't it Jess's car is the station wagon? I thought Jess's car was blue and Nick's was red because we see it. We're going to have to go back and watch Parking Spot again and figure this out. No, so you're right, though. Nick's car is red. Jess's car is blue. But the car that they drove to Mexico is Jess's car because it's the, like, station wagon, older blue car, not Nick's car that doesn't work. But then when they said that they have Nick's car or, like, they could trade a car, they got the security guard's car. It was not Nick's car. I believe that. Maybe fans can write in <laughs> and share with us. <laughs> Let us know. I might go know. back and watch this again just to figure out this car thing. But Nick is retrieved. We are with Nick. Jess comes in to save him. As earlier in the scene, though, I thought was really cute where Jess really wanted to find him and is like, he's my bitch. <laughs> you knew that Jess was not going to stop till she found her Nick. So they found each other. And Winston and Schmidt come in and that's when Nick is like, wait, oh no, it's ruined. Like you got them and it's going to all break now. It's not going to work. And only the best scene came out of this moment because then they all started fighting. And Nick at one point is like threatening to like shred his passport. So much was happening. There was so much chaos when they were all fighting and then Jess starts speaking and she just makes this statement about how they're a family because of Craigslist and all this. And immediately there's just so much peace in the room. 
it was so interesting to me how they like played that up against each other because it's so so chaotic like it's so noticeable that the piece is there because family and they all agree with that and of course it's broken by the passport still getting shredded the whole concept of shredding the passport though was so stressful in this episode when Nick first announced that that's what he was going to do to make sure that he stayed in Mexico because he wasn't ready to lose Jess or have real life with Jess. He just wanted like paradise resort version of them. When he went to threaten that, I just, my my jaw dropped. That was not going to end well for Nick Miller. But yet, as you said, it still got shredded. But then it was the cutest thing for Winston because obviously this whole episode is about him doing his puzzles and whatnot, but he gets a shred of the passport and he's like, I can make this work. And he makes like, it's like a second puzzle out of it. And it actually came together really well for what the shredding was. I mean, I guess like if we're going to say that he put together all of these pieces of paper in any some order, yes, he did really well. It's in putting... the shape of a passport. Because the paper is in the shape of the passport. <laughs> it could have been much, much worse. It could have been. It could have been like Winston's puzzle at the end of the episode. But yeah, instead, they make it to Border Patrol and they actually let him go because, of course, this is a comedy And they end up back at home. And then there's this weird fight with Nick and Jess where Nick tells everybody that he just never carries a key because someone is always home. I both really loved that from the concept of just everyone spending time together and someone always being at the loft. And also was like, Nick, you need to carry a key. Like you need a key to your own loft. I saw that scene and I was like, this is very on brand for Nick Miller to not have a key to his own home. Like, course he doesn't always have a key he figures a way to get inside no matter what it's never been a problem for him I 100% believe that but then I loved how it really did turn into Nick and Jess being who we know them to be fighting with each other about not having a key but then like in a weird way like still yelling and just being like well I'll carry a key for you like we're in this now together and I just was like this is the Nick and Jess that I love. I love that you can have sweet moments like them turning into that into kissing. And that was really cute for me. But then I also thought it was really cute how they were just like mad about really mundane things, but not even that mad. Just like silly yelling about it. It was cute. I think it was cute too, because Nick also said like, I guess I'll start carrying a key now or something like that in addition. But it was also really weird. Like I empathized a bit with Winston and Schmidt into like how hot and cold some of this was. Like one minute they're like arguing, one minute they're all over each other. And it's cute, but it's also like, wait, where did this come from for people like Winston Schmidt (laughs) who like knew this was always a thing, but it was never defined. And so I kind of get where they were coming from too. Yeah, I mean, it is weird to see like your best friends just start making out. So like that part I can empathize with. But at the same time, Through the whole scenes with Nick and Jess and like their thoughts on it, they really are like, oh, this isn't going to work out. You guys should probably stay in Mexico or something like that. And you're just like, what? You guys have had no faith, not in parking spot, not throughout the second half of season two and not now. Like, why are we so against this? They're adorable. Can't you see it? I can. Get on my page. That's what I feel. (laughs) (laughs) However, you know who I thought was not 100% adorable through the whole episode is the way Schmidt and Winston were set up for us again in season three. Because 
you and I, Kritika, talked about this at length for them in season two. We, in our recap, were like, Schmidt and Winston's friendship is really the crux of season two and like what we got out of it and like how much they were able to come together. And yet here in season three, episode one, they started this by going, do you want to be best friends? And I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> what? Why are we reestablishing this? We do not need to reestablish this. And then I feel like by the end of this episode, they completely broke it down again. There was no established best friendship at all. And you're just like, what happened here? <laughs> what happened? I'm at a loss for like how to even express this because I 100% agree with you. When I first saw this show up, it's like they had the same storyline and had many different ways of going about it. And they're like, okay, let's try this now. Let's try them to be best friends because they're going to break up Nick and Jess. Or now they're going to be best friends because Nick and Jess are dating other people and they're at a cabin together. They have been paired up a lot because Nick and Jess have been paired up a lot. And with Nick and Jess in this season, it looks like they're here to stay, which means we're going to see a lot more of Schmidt and Winston. And I really, really, really hope we don't get any more of these, like, here are my expectations of a friend. You must sacrifice everything for me, including your dignity. And then like Winston's expectations being don't talk to me. Never lie to me is like understandable, but like, just don't talk to me. Like what? You guys have bonded so much in the like second half of season two. And every time we get into these, they just undo it. And it's like, just pretend it didn't happen. We're going to try again. Yeah. I thought you were almost going to say that they were trying all these different ways and they had all these ideas and they just said, let's just do all of them. <laughs> like, let's yeah. keep breaking them up and putting them back together because we had many ideas. And you're just like, they're cute. They have a fun relationship. They don't have to replace Nick Miller for either of them. And it's a different dynamic and it's fun. However, Schmidt should have learned never to touch his puzzle because... Winston did have feelings about that. <laughs> Winston is definitely extremely weird about this puzzle. <laughs> He's pretty weird. I feel like they have just put a bunch of quirky personality traits together and just made that Winston's entire personality. Like, he likes to prank people. He likes to puzzle. He also has Theodore K. Mullins. Like, it's just all these little things and... His number one personality trait in my eyes is just how good of a friend he is. And that's the one thing we like don't really get into this episode because he tries to give Schmidt advice, but he doesn't like follow up. He's just like, I'm doing my puzzle. This is my thing now. That's me for the whole episode. I mean, I like Winston's quirks. I think that is a fun aspect of him. And I think it makes him a little goofy and it just works. Like, I mean, originally Winston came back from Latvia because he was a Latvian basketball player. He really likes bathtubs, right? Like there's just these little things about Winston that I'm like, okay, you're, you have quirks and you're a little funny about things and I like it. But then, yeah, he also like, as much as they were like, oh yeah, let's be best friends. He was so sucked into this puzzle. He was not listening <laughs> really at all. Like he's like, just pick the easy choice. Like go be with Cece. Schmidt, go be with Elizabeth and it'll work out. No problem. And Schmidt immediately is like, yeah, okay, that pumped me up. This is going to work out. And I immediately was like, this is not going to work out. <laughs> like this was, Schmidt had no clarity on what he was going to be doing from Winston, who really wasn't paying attention, nor from Nick, who wasn't talking to him. And Schmidt alone was just stuck in the same little like awkward moment that he had at the end of season two, where he's like, I don't know who to pick. I'm really speechless. 
And the right answer for him was really to pick neither of them because his reasoning for CC was the special connection, but he says it was unhealthy with CC. And then with Elizabeth, the only reason he actually vocalizes is that he was dating her first. Neither of these are reasons to be with someone. And I kind of wish like for Schmidt's character growth, he had just decided not to be with either of them and then broke up with both of them and figured it out. Also for comedy, if he like at least decided to be with neither of them and then tried and ended up dating both of them, that would have still been funny. But like his decision making being, oh, I was dating her first. That's obviously the right answer. I was hoping for more from Schmidt. I also was hoping for more because I didn't like how he, when talking with Cece and when talking with Elizabeth, both of them are like, oh, how did Cece take it? How did Elizabeth take it? And he makes up this crazy story or like crazy response of like how much it was really hard for them, but like he stuck it out and like he made it a big deal. And I'm just like, you're creating more lies that are way more intense that are than what is actually happening here. And you're making it a bigger deal than it is. And that's only going to backfire on you. Like the more you add details, the more you put into the story, the more it's going to come back to hit you. Schmidt has gotten himself into these pickles before that I was really kind of surprised that he was making it so hard for himself. I like to say I'm surprised and that's what I started with, but then I also think of Schmidt and I'm like, he's not thinking two steps ahead. He's not thinking about like, <laughs> what's going to happen when he tries to break up with this person. So as much as I want more from him, I guess I really don't expect that much. I don't know. It's just hard to see where Schmidt's going to go from here because obviously he stays with Cece. He stays with Elizabeth. He's still trying to reach Nick because he can't really like function without Nick, which was very sweet and genuine. It was really cute. And then Cece comes over because obviously he lied to Winston. I don't know why at any point in those four days, he didn't just say the truth. Like, I don't know what Winston would have done for Schmidt that would have made him feel like that was a bad idea. But Cece comes over and I actually will give credit to Winston being a good friend in this moment because I know I said he didn't do a lot of it in this episode, but in this moment, he actually was so out there for Schmidt. Like, he did everything. He made himself look extremely creepy to Cece just to stay Schmidt's best friend or keep Schmidt in Cece's good books, really. Yeah, this is another moment, though, where I was like, Schmidt, you're making this way too hard for yourself because, yeah, he needed to cover up his lies, so that part I get. But then had he talked to Winston and give him some kind of insight prior to this moment, it wouldn't have been an issue because Winston said, don't lie to me. And he brought that back up, but Schmidt was not telling him the whole truth and not really telling him anything. And then lying to him because he told him that it was all fine. And so it led Winston to not know what the heck was going on when Cece showed up, which also making it way harder on yourself, Schmidt, because, oh yeah, Cece is Jess's best friend. She was her maid of honor. She knows where you live, literally, and will be at your apartment just to shave her armpits, as we've seen. So you need to be prepared that Cece will walk in at any moment. Don't ever bring Elizabeth to your apartment if you're going to date both of them, because it will not work out. <laughs> and how suspicious would it be if you never went over to your boyfriend's apartment? Like, 
it's not a recipe set up for success, but that's where I come back to what I was saying about Schmidt. Like, he just doesn't think these things through. He doesn't know what's happening next. And that's how he, like, goes down this spiral of lies. And that's where you're right from before, too, where if he really can't choose and he loves them both, he should be honest about loving them both and saying, I'm not choosing one of you right now. And if we're not okay with that, I will not choose either of you. But that could have been a funnier take, too, to have them both say, it's fine. Let's both date you. <laughs> like, that could have been fun, too, right? Like, it just would have been a better move for Schmidt. But as we know, <laughs> it just makes the moment more fun. Winston ends up saying to Cece that he's wearing her underpants and that he slept with Elizabeth two and a half times. Like, Winston also got himself into a big, big hole with that story. <laughs> I don't know how we can expect Cece and Winston to get to a non-creepy place after all of this because it was so, so strange and creepy. But Cece gets really fed up and she messes up Winston's puzzle, which is another one of Winston's triggers of you do not touch my puzzle. So of course, Schmidt and Winston just start fighting in, I don't even know what to call this. It was pretty silly. But then really fast, one quick note about Cece that I noticed in this episode was she, when Schmidt first goes to her apartment, we're trying to empathize with Cece a little bit because she's like, I have to send all these gifts back. I am to deal with all of this stuff. And it was like the day after the wedding or within like immediate days after the wedding that I'm like, where's Chevron? I know he ran off with Taylor Swift. Okay, Elaine, but Taylor Swift. And I know that that is a big moment, but like, what a horrible dude to just like leave all this wedding unwedding stuff on Cece. I couldn't like, I was kind of mad about that. Like, I guess from a guest star perspective in the show, I wasn't expecting Satya Baba to come back, but I also was like, wait a minute. Why are we not even talking about Jerome? <laughs> like it sucks that he just ran off and lived his best life without Cece and dumped this on her. Yeah. I think the fact that everything was always at Cece's apartment, we never got to see anything from Chevron's side, meant that this was expected. But I didn't actually even think about that. I was just like, oh, he's off like with Elaine, getting married and like, I don't know, being married, I guess. Because he did get married to someone. So maybe he should have just like come and taken the gifts and been like, mm, I'm going to keep them for me and Elaine. Like right. that's what he should have done. <laughs> that's what he should have done. Maybe the ones from Cece's family okay, that's a little awkward, like, give those back. But yeah, just keep the gifts. Like, it's more effort to return them to the person who gave it to you. Ugh. Anyway, I was frustrated that poor Cece was, like, off on her own and then only went to go see her, what she thought was her new boyfriend, and ended up finding out that her best friend's friends are really creepy and wear her underwear. So that did not work out well for her <laughs> by the end of this episode. But coming back to Winston's quirks, this whole episode was about his puzzling. <laughs> Even sang himself a little song. It was so fun. I loved it. And also, I truly empathize with Winston because I'm just like, I get this obsessive personality. Like, once you start this kind of thing, you got to finish it and no one can touch it and it's yours and you're going to make it happen. So I can see what he, he was going with there. Kelly, he wore a sweatshirt on his leg. <laughs> I loved it. That was the best. In that scene, though, when they start circling each other and Winston hits his leg on a chair, I don't know if this is true or not, but I so hope that was just like improv. Like it just happened and they both just went with it because it was so funny to me that they just kept going. They're like, ow, after like hitting his leg on this chair. It just, oh, 
I don't know why, but that was one of the things that stood out to me in that moment. I was like, yes, these are good actors. Like, they just keep going. A lot of situational comedy in this episode. Really, really fun. But a lot of it, all of this puzzling, clearly, is like not only to give Winston a quirk, but really to give him this other storyline that is huge that Winston is colorblind. And I was like Googling this online a little bit. And I swear I saw people be like, yeah, I was 40 when I realized that I was colorblind or like didn't see colors the same as other people. So it's totally realistic that Winston is at this point in his life that he's realizing he's colorblind. However, he seems really excited about puzzles to the point where I'm like, you seem like you've done a puzzle before, but it always comes out like this at the end where it was just like mismatched with almonds in it. And I'm like, you've never questioned this. (laughs) This has never been a red flag for you on playing with puzzles. I'm glad-ish that they like led the puzzling quirks to his colorblindness because I like Winston's personality too. And I like that he's quirky, but I just don't want to see him continue to only have that going for him. Like that's his role to play. Like I want to see him do more, which we said in our season one and season two recap, but at least here we led to this like big reveal of him being colorblind and Kermit the Frog is brown and favorite brown shoes. And I just hope like we can get more out of this. How does Winston feel about this? What other situations could this colorblindness bring about for him? And will New Girl keep it consistent and will we actually get to see this throughout the rest of the show? Like little moments that just come up where Winston is colorblind. So therefore he needs to buy a shirt, but he buys like a green version of a red team's jersey, something like that. You know, like he doesn't actually know what color he's buying. It'd be cool to see. Yeah, that'd be cute to keep that consistent throughout the show. Now that we're in season three of Who's That Girl, we wanted to add something that's a little bit different than some of our segments we've had in the past. And it's a segment called Most Likely To. Like our superlatives that we've done in our season recaps, Both Kelly and I are going to come up with two most likely two questions that are based on the episodes, but we're going to answer which one of us we think would be most likely to do that thing. Kelly doesn't know what questions I've come up with, and I don't know which ones Kelly has come up with. So I'm going to go first. Kelly, who do you think of the two of us is most likely to be really bad at puzzles? We're both pretty meticulous with a lot of things. But I would like to say I would do better. I won't call you bad at puzzles, but I think I would do better because I think I get a little, like I said, too obsessive. And I also kind of try to control the situation to organize the different shapes of the puzzle pieces. But I have not yet, as we are very long distance best friends, built a puzzle with you. So I'm not 100% sure. I think I would agree with you. And not because I would be bad at puzzles necessarily, but because I think I would get bored and be like, yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore and just like put it back in the box. And I feel like you would be like, no, we're finishing this puzzle and that's it. So I would also agree with you. A hundred percent. I don't stop until it is done. Just like Winston. All right, Kritika, who would be most likely to wear their sweatshirt on their legs? You. A hundred percent you. Like... <laughs> I would maybe try it, but you would be the person to like push us into this. I've definitely already done this. (laughs) Things get weird on the weekends. Well, let me just say, (laughs) am I just like secretly Winston? I'm, I'm questioning this now. 
So your Jess, your Winston, we'll never know. I'm just, I am apartment 4D. I'm the blend of them all. Exactly. Okay, my last one is Kelly. Who do you think would be most likely to run away to Mexico? You, you know Spanish, and you are a well-traveled person that going to Mexico wouldn't be that complicated for you. So I think you. See, and I actually would say you because you just completed this big road trip of the United States. I feel like you'd be so much more adventurous to like run away to Mexico. I think I would be most likely to maybe go in a moment's notice, but I wouldn't just go with no plans and no place to stay (laughs) and live on a beach for four days. (laughs) That I think would freak me out. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. And I also want to know, Katika, who do you think would be most likely to think things will work out unrealistically, a la Schmidt with his two girlfriends? I think it would be you. (laughs) Why am I all of these? (laughs) I I think it could be both of us to some extent because I think we both like really plan things out and like build things up. But I think just slightly over the edge, I would say you. Because I'm slightly over the edge. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it kind of is me. (laughs) I don't have any other reason, but it does. It does feel right. So. Hopefully this helped you get to know me better because clearly I am all these things for this episode, but we'll be trying these in each episode, as Kritika said, where we pick something from the episode and kind of just give you our own responses to it. But now before we get into our Schmidtism, we're going to take a quick break. All right, now we're back with our Schmidtisms in the second half of our podcast. In this episode, we actually highlighted two different Schmidtisms. The first one is the scene where Schmidt went over to Cece's apartment and is talking to her about their relationship. Kritika, as always and forever, is your Schmidt. I will be playing Cece in this scene. So just say it. You don't want to be with me. What? Huh? Look, look at that. I just looked down, I thought, this girl must be wearing sneakers with shoelaces, and the, those shoelaces must be tied together, because this girl is straight tripping, yo. What? Of course I want to be with you. I love that Schmidt just feels the need to hyperbolize so much, just like, just say, yes, I want to be with you. But no, he's going to go all out there with this whole example of how this girl is tripping because her shoelaces are tied together. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but our second Schmidtism is the puzzling scene right at the beginning, and Kelly is going to be playing Winston, and I'll be playing Schmidt. Hey, Schmidt, what do you think it's going to look like? What do I think it's going to look like? Yeah, the puzzle. Winston, it's on the box. The, the picture's on the box. It's a Japanese garden. Schmidt, calm down. What is the problem? <laughs> this, this moment was gold because it's not even having to do with Winston's colorblindness. It's actually just the basics of puzzles. You look at the box to know what the picture is. <laughs> I think I would be just as outraged as Schmidt in this scene. Honestly, me too. 
But getting into our in the 2020s section, we always start by reviewing our not in the 2020s, which are moments that stood out in this episode that from the time that this is aired, now that we're watching it in the 2020s, things that didn't hold up. So a couple of low items that stood out to us in this episode was how in previous podcasts, we've always talked about Schmidt referring to Cece's race. And we kind of saw that continue here, but not with Cece. He actually calls Elizabeth this crazy white girl. And it's interesting that he just continues to talk about race. It is interesting, but kind of nice in a way to see it now on the other side. But kind of a funny thing to still just call up. Another low one for us is that Jess's response to Nick being in jail in Mexico was just all of the stereotypes of Mexican jail and what people expect from that. And they also kind of turned into these stereotypical tourists where they were just giving money to all these people and paying off bribes to everyone they saw, but then clearly they got taken advantage of because they were assuming that. So in the 2020s, it's something to always read up on the standard way to do things in different places before you go traveling, but get how for Jess and Nick, when they just run off to another country, they may not always have the best idea. And one that stood out a little bit more for us was how when Schmidt was talking to Cece, he kind of blamed the women for putting him in this position, even though he does still love both of them. So he's also in this position by his own doing. So we didn't really love how that came across to us. For the yes part of in the 2020s, we did actually really like that Winston went out on a limb, essentially, for Schmidt, making himself look bad for Cece. He definitely took that a little bit too far, and it got a little bit on the verge of like, wait, Winston, what are you saying? But he was coming from a good place of wanting to make sure that he didn't out his friend's lies to his not-really-girlfriend. Yeah, and it was something that really stood out as a great friendship moment, which honestly, a lot of our yes in the 2020s moments end up being these really great moments of friendship in the show. Our pop culture segment is What's Up Next. And as you may know, our website, smallscreenchatter.com, has all the other references that we heard of pop culture in this episode. But for this podcast, we'll be focusing on two. The first is Point Break, which Nick so very directly calls out that he wants to get out of this security guard beach scene point break style and he will point break style this moment and if you did not know point break is a 1991 movie starring patrick swayze keanu reeves Lori petty and gary Busey. it's kind of one of those cult classic films and i can see why because the premise is an fbi agent goes undercover to catch a gang of surfers who may be bank robbers <laughs> I saw a description online too that made me chuckle because the description was Johnny Utah, who's the main character, FBI agent, Johnny Utah is his name. <laughs> Johnny Utah goes undercover to infiltrate the surfing community. <laughs> I'm just like, what is this? This would be a movie reference for Nick Miller. And something I thought that was really interesting about this movie is how many times it changed names while they were putting it together. Because when Keanu Reeves was first cast in this role, it was actually just called Johnny Utah, which, like Kelly just mentioned, is the FBI agent's name. And they felt like it wasn't really about surfing. So then by the time Patrick Swayze was cast, they renamed it Riders on the Storm after the famous song by The Doors. 
but the lyrics of that song don't really have anything to do with the film either. So it wasn't until halfway through filming that Point Break became the title of this film because of its relevance to surfing. Because the term point break is a surfing term that means where a wave breaks as it hits a point of land that juts out from the coastline. One thing that I found also that was really kind of fun about this and being that cult classic film that it is, there's a Seattle-based brewing company called Georgetown Brewing that actually has a beer called Bodhisattva IPA. And it's based off of a character in this film called Bodhi. And they also even have a, another beer called Johnny Utah Pale Ale. So it's so popular, I guess, in some circles that even brewing companies are naming beers after Johnny Utah and others from this film. I thought it was actually too kind of funny how this is the reference Nick is bringing up. Like, I'm going to point break style this moment. And having not seen the movie, but having read a full description of what happens in the movie, I was wondering if potentially Nick referenced this because of the shootout that happens near the end of the movie. And that's what he was expecting to happen with the security guards, but I wasn't really sure. So still kind of thought his reference was a little questionable, but he seemed committed to it. So I haven't seen this movie either, but I was trying to find out why this would be the reference to, and I saw on some article online that the ultimate ideal of this movie is the freedom to do what you want. So maybe that's in line with what Nick was going for with international waters and point break style, but honestly, I'm not so sure either. Maybe you have to be in the cult following to really get it. Yeah, maybe. But our second pop culture reference for this podcast is Ugly Betty, which also actually has a cult following to it, but it was referenced in the show when Nick said that they let him watch Ugly Betty in resort jail, which wasn't so bad. And this is a show that ran from 2006 to 2010 and is an American comedy drama that was based off of a Colombian telenovela called Yo Soy Betty La Fea. The premise of this show is that smart and wholesome Betty embraces her unique appearance, aka not standardly beautiful appearance, and independent attitude in the cutthroat world of New York fashion. And recently, fans have asked for a bit of a reboot to see like where the characters are now, now that reboots are like the biggest popular thing in television right now. But Vanessa Williams, one of the show's main stars, shared that it will be an overdue reunion because the creator and executive producer, Silvio Horta, died last year and the rights to the show are kind of under review. And she mentioned while they would love to get the cast back together as they're all still really good friends, they can't really commit to doing a reboot at this time. I've only seen a couple episodes of Ugly Betty, but hearing about how many people have been looking for a reboot of this makes me really want to go check it out some more. For the guest stars of this podcast, we did see Merritt Weaver, who plays Elizabeth in this episode, who we previously discussed in Season 2, Episode 22, Bachelorette Party. And some other actors in this episode that we won't be discussing are Dominique Flores, who plays the front desk clerk, Grayson Francis, who plays Brad, Ray Renega, who plays Julio, Roberto Montesinas, who plays Manny, Drew Butler, who plays the border guard, and Matt Dion, who plays a resort patron. 
the first of the guest stars we will be talking about is Hemke Madera, who plays Gabriel, who is a security guard in this episode. We know Gabriel from shows like Brockmire and Weeds, shows that Critique and I have both personally seen. And we also know him from the movie Spider-Man Homecoming, which he has quoted as one of his favorite roles. He's done other acting work in television shows like Queen of the South and Perry Mason, and has also been in movies like The Happy Time Murders and as a voice in Rango. He began his acting career in the Dominican Republic, where he took leading parts in the miniseries En La Oya and Trio en Altamar. And he was actually the executive producer on a music video, Belle and the Claytons, The River. And his wife, Jessie Lynn Madera, recently posted a single in November 2021, Hola Papi, which actually features Hemke in it. Another fun fact about Hemke is that he is a voice on the video game Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, which is soon going to become a movie in 2022, Uncharted. And Hemke also has a big presence on Cameo. Another guest star we are reviewing on this podcast is Cole Sand, who was the little kid with the resort bracelet on the beach. We've seen him in shows like Heart of Dixie and Masters of Sex, and he's also been in other TV shows like Austin and Allie, Parenthood, Three Below, Tales of Arcadia, and Best Worst Weekend Ever. Something that was interesting about him is that he's not the only one in his family in acting because both his brothers, Jaden and Carter Sand, are also in acting. And Cole recently graduated high school in 2021 and now goes to Purdue University. For our trivia and fun facts this episode, we found a few different interviews that shared what people like Elizabeth Merriweather, Jake Johnson, and Zoe Deschanel thought about season three, both before it started filming and when they were getting into it, and specifically Nick and Jess's relationship. Jake Johnson called out in an interview about season three that he really liked what Liz Merriweather was doing because she wasn't following the rules of TV for relationships at the time. He had said that TV rules say that you don't even get them together until seasons five or six, but because of the will-they-won't-they chemistry, he acknowledged that he doesn't think Liz was following any rules and wanted to get them together sooner. Because Zoe, as well, in a different interview, was really actually rooting for them to get together. And when you keep characters apart, you don't always have the same options. It got to be into a place where you have to acknowledge that there's chemistry because if you don't, then you're just avoiding it the whole time. So Zoe thought it was a good move to really get them together at this point in the show. She also thought that her and Jake had really good rapport and why it made it a special relationship and something that could be really expanded on. And in another interview with Elizabeth Merriweather from Vulture, the reporter talked about a moment where Nick gets tased and someone spies on him in the bathroom that Jake Johnson had shared. And obviously we didn't really see that in this episode. And Elizabeth Merriweather noted that that was one of the things that might have gotten cut because it might have been too horrible because in one draft he was like being watched in the bathroom. So she acknowledged too that they're going in a totally different direction this year and that Nick and Jess were going to get super weird with each other. But it was fun to see some of the things that might have been cut. That bathroom scene was probably cut due to some standard and practices <laughs> rules that we know that they've bumped up against in the past. Another thing that's new with season three was that while we were recording season two, 
A fan on Instagram messaged us and asked us if we had heard about the idea that there was a bear in every episode of New Girl and whether we would start to look for it in our podcast and mention it when we find it. So we looked this episode for the bear. I personally could not find the bear at all, but I did find a Reddit post that said that there is a picture of a bear on the fridge door in their loft. We also have another fan at LGDay0329 who let us know that she, on her own Instagram account, is looking for the bear in every episode and documenting it. And her perspective was that there was a chalkboard sign that said berry on it, which is related enough to bear. But again, like Kritika, I personally did not see the sign and thought I looked pretty hard, but didn't see the sign, didn't see the fridge picture, didn't hear any other references to bears in this episode. But I know the fans out there know that there is a bear reference in every episode. So on this first one of season three, we do need your help and we'll bring it to social media because we want to know what this bear reference was from season three, episode one. So for this episode, the IMDb rating was a 7.8 and the audience viewership when this first aired was 5.53 million US viewers. For me, this episode was an eight. I think it was probably inflated by the fact that I haven't seen New Girl in some time and it was just such a funny episode in comparison. But I was really just excited and being able to watch it and I didn't remember a lot of the storyline except maybe the Winston colorblind piece. So a lot of it was just like fun to experience for me in this episode. I give this episode a 7.5 out of 10. I liked it. It was fun. And really my favorite character, Winston, with his puzzle situation, with his colorblindness, helped carry the episode for me. And obviously I'm a Nick and Jess shipper till I die. And I loved seeing them run off together. But I also just felt like they covered a lot of ground in this episode and didn't have as many special moments in the episode as I have enjoyed in some of the other ones I gave a higher rating to. Winston was also my favorite character in this episode. I just found how genuinely nice he was about dealing with Schmidt's situation and not ratting him out to be really something that stood out about Winston and continues to always stand out about how good of a friend he is. So he was my favorite character this episode. Winston was definitely hard to beat this episode. But next up is our spoiler section where we give you a few details you may not want to know about if this is your first watch through of the show. So if that is you, you will get five seconds to pause. But first, Critique and I want to say thank you for listening to our podcast. We wouldn't have this podcast if it wasn't for our fans like you. And we really love when you engage with us on Instagram and Twitter at our handle, Who's That Girl Pod. You can also check us out on our website, smallscreenchatter.com, where we post cool things like our show notes, which include all of the pop culture references, like I mentioned earlier. We love to hear from you. But okay, it's that time. Pause now, or you will hear some spoilers. If you do, we'll catch you next week for episode two. And now for our spoiler section. We're really mixing it up here in season three. So we are going to go through our endgame couples and give them a rating in the moment. First up is Jess and Nick. And I myself 
Love that they ran off to Mexico together, as I said. They had cute little moments on the beach where Nick's like, of course he's going to notice you. You're the cutest person here. And Jess being like, Nick is my bitch. Like, they have some deep feelings for each other. They are starting to admit them. And I really feel that they are like 9 out of 10 right now. This is still continuing, and it's going to be good. So I also really like Nick and Justin's episode. But I only gave them an 8 out of 10 because I felt like while this is a relationship that's going to continue for some time, I just don't see it at that point where they're really that end game. So like I feel like they could make it through most of the season before they would actually not make it further. But even taking away what I already know about the season, I feel like this episode didn't lead to like, yes, this is the end of the show, knowing that there's seven seasons. So I gave it an eight, which puts us together at about an 8.5. But getting to Schmidt and Cece, I gave them a three out of 10. I felt like we saw them get together. We actually see them in this episode dating, but I don't see it really working out for them because Schmidt's lies are definitely going to catch up with him and even in the scene where he is talking to both of them I was just waiting for it to be like a mean girl situation where he accidentally like merges the lines and they're talking to each other and of course that didn't happen but I just don't see this being endgame based on this episode so it was a three for me. I completely agree and we know this blows up in Schmidt's face and it doesn't work out with either of them but If this were a Schmidt and Elizabeth tracker, I'd definitely give it a 0 out of 10 because Elizabeth doesn't even get real reasons of why Schmidt wants to be with her. He just knew her first, right? Like, we, it's not going to work out. But then with Cece, I I have to agree. I think it is a 3 as well because obviously there's more feelings there. But again, it's not going to be happening right now anytime soon. And... Lastly, with our douchebag tracker, where we rate Schmidt's douchiness from a zero, meaning he's very genuine, to a 10, where he is a complete douche. And his rating for me this episode is definitely high and probably about an eight. He was not a good friend to Winston. He forgot that he was friends with Winston. And he only needed Nick for his own selfish reasons to solve his major problem. And I wanted him to be a little more thoughtful and genuine. I also gave him an eight for all of those reasons and because of how he treated Cece and Elizabeth and couldn't even have reasons for Elizabeth, but claimed to love her and Cece knowing that it was unhealthy, still kind of caved, like even after he'd made this decision. So that leaves him as an eight for both of us. When it comes to other spoilers for this episode, when we were talking about the articles in the trivia and fun facts section, there were a couple things that kind of quickly stood out for it, where Elizabeth Merriweather noted that for the entire first part of the season, Schmidt's actually trying to break Nick and Jess up and how that wasn't something that you'd want to happen to you because in her words, he's a real crazy, crazy guy. And she also talked about how in these interviews that Nick and Jess we're not going to be the permanent A story for the season. So at the beginning of the year, while they were like establishing the relationship, she did see that being that A story. So we'll see a lot more of Schmidt and Winston, I presume, in this early part of the season. But she did say that as the season progressed, it became less of the constant story. 
One other spoiler that we wanted to call out is that in this episode, we do learn about Winston's colorblindness, which is so fun of a storyline to just hear how he realizes what is true about him. However, it does get contradicted later in Winston's storyline because he becomes a cop in the LAPD. And part of interviewing and going through the process of joining the police force is going through a medical evaluation where you have to be able to accurately and quickly name colors. And if Winston's colorblindness is as severe as it seems in this episode, it would be unlikely that he would have passed that evaluation. So we'll have to keep an eye to see, as we said, how the colorblindness gets brought in throughout the seasons, but it does kind of contradict later on in his storyline. And that's the end of our first episode of season three. So once again, Kelly and I just really want to say thank you. Whether this is the first time you've listened to Who's That Girl or you've been here through two seasons with us, we're so grateful for you and we love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating or leave comments in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this now. And like Kelly mentioned, you can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at Who's That Girl Pod. You can find us at our website, smallscreenchatter.com, or email us at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com. And we really hope you'll be back next week for episode two.